Not really one text that we'll be in this morning, but we'll be bouncing around all over the place. I suppose if you wanted to open up somewhere, we'll be in uh, Isaiah and uh, a few different times. We'll be uh, in the Psalms a few different times, so you can open up there if you want to have kind of a placeholder. And this morning we're going to keep on moving in our series on God's attributes, uh, our, our series entitled Things Too Wonderful, and we're going to uh, we're going to cover one that I think is almost universally ascribed to God, but also uh, an attribute that um, might be the most controversial, at least the one that causes the most, uh, uh, the most angst among, among people, believers and non-believers alike. We're going to cover an attribute that I think really kind of pushes people, and I don't want to get lost in some philosophical debates this morning, uh, but we, we're going to look at this and see what the, the scriptures have to say. So quick recap of what we've covered so far. We've covered majesty. That was our first week whenever we looked at Job and the things that were too wonderful. We've covered simplicity, that God is simple. In other words, he's not uh, made in parts. He is whole. All that God is, God is all the time. And so we can't set parts of God against one another. He doesn't lay one side apart in order to take hold of another part. He is all things at all times that he is. The third one we looked at was aseity, or a way that we would say it is self-existence or self-sufficient. God needs nothing outside of himself in order to be. He simply is I am. And then last week we looked at two, that God is omniscient and that God is omnipresent. He knows all, and God is everywhere. He knows all, and God is everywhere. And then today, we're going to look at the third omni, the one I drew a blank on last week. We're going to look at the third omni, that God is omnipotent. God is omnipotent. You see in that word there, omnipotent, omni-all, potent, that would be full of strength. He is all, full of all strength. He is all-powerful. And there are few things more than this attribute that could get us in a big philosophical debate this morning to just assert what God can or cannot do. And this morning, like I said, I'm not going to uh, parse out all those debates. We can have those debates over a cup of coffee, if you would like, or over a sandwich. But um, we might touch on a few of those just briefly. All I really want to do in honesty this morning is I just want to lay out what the scriptures say about God. So instead of talking philosophically this morning and saying, well, this must be true because this must be true and this can't be true because this can't be true and parsing all of that out because we could go forever on this, I just want to lay out what the scriptures say about God's power. And then I want to let those ships fall where they may as God writes his word on our hearts. And then I want to follow the pattern that is laid out in, in Jen Wilkins' book, None Like Him, where she uh, will, will take, uh, uh, she does this with almost all the attributes, she will take uh, some aspect, some attribute, and say, this is how we try to mimic it, but how we fall short. I can remember the single time that I was the most scared I had ever been in my life. We actually just talked about it uh, a few months ago. When I was 16, I, I flipped or rolled, not end over end, but uh, kind of a, I, I guess you would call it a, a roll, but I wasn't actually on the ground. It was in the air. Uh, my Ford Ranger stepside pickup, it, 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 it went uh, round and round, spun in a circle, however you want to say it, at least 
four times why it was also spinning this way. So this way and this way. Uh, it, it, it spun completely left me having no idea where I was or what I was uh, doing. Um, and it ended up landing in a culvert that was like 8 to 10 feet deep of water in uh, probably sometime in February, maybe early, early March. It was very cold. It was sleeting. I was coming around a curve, uh, and I felt the back end of this very light pickup truck start to slide from out behind me, and I knew very well what was about to come next, or at least part of what was about to come next. If you've ever driven, driven a, a pickup truck, you know that if you, you go around a, a curve, especially a, a wet curve, then you have a very strong chance that that back end is going to start to fishtail. Well, I started going sideways, but it didn't fishtail. It just kind of kept going. And this was not the first time that this had happened to me. In fact, in this truck, I probably did this three or four times, so which you're probably thinking, well, maybe you need to be a better driver, which maybe that's the case. Maybe I, I should be, but in all honesty, I think this was a matter of uh, a combination of, of different things. One, it was a very light truck, uh, and so even a little bit of water, a little bit of, of moisture on the road would make this thing glide. I might as well have been on skis half of the time. Um, but it was also a, a function of, of other things where uh, inexperience would be one of them. This was a, a, a manual uh, truck. It was a stick shift. And so when you, when you downshift, if you're still going too fast, that engine's going to rev. And when it revs, your wheels are going to spin, and then you're going to spin. That's just the way that, that that works, and that happened to me uh, a lot. And so several other times, I had done the same thing where the back end would get away from me, and I would do a full 360. It's happened three or four times. I would do a full 360 and then just stop right in the lane where I began, which is crazy that I did not end up in a ditch or I did not end up plowing into uh, another car. But this had happened several different times, and I kept trying to figure out why does this keep happening, and it's just a matter of, of, of being too inexperienced to know uh, when to put, put in the clutch and when to just slow down and, and not downshift uh, at the, the, right, uh, the right moment. So those moments are terrifying moments, and that one especially where uh, I was spinning and, and rolling and doing all kinds of different things, those moments are terrifying because I lost what is the most important thing to have in a car, control. I had no control. There was nothing I could do once that truck started spinning until it decided to stop spinning. I just kind of had to hang on. You could try turning into the curve or turning uh, out of the curve. I don't know which one you're supposed to do whenever you start sliding. I don't know if you're supposed to turn it this way or turn it that way. I don't, I don't know what the, the driver's ed teacher taught me because I was probably sleeping in that class, so maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know. But they don't teach you how to drive a stick shift in driver's ed anyway. So, uh, But I, it didn't matter. Whatever I was going to do, whatever was going to happen, I was at the mercy of physics at that point and whatever God decided was going to happen. I had zero control for what was going to happen. Now, fortunately, as I said, I'd never hit an, another car, but it was still the definition of terrifying for me to be in a potentially dangerous situation and to realize I have absolutely no control how this situation is going to turn out. I think for most of us, if we were to build 
if, we, if we were to break down our greatest fears, if you were to list out your greatest fears, the things that scare you the most, I think if you were to, to boil it down, you would eventually get to something related to this idea. Something related to your loss of control in the situation. That you aren't going to be able to dictate the outcome of your situation in that moment. Sometimes because you don't have the power to do it. Sometimes because you've lost the ability to control what will happen. The loss of power and the loss of control are at the heart of the things that scare us the most. Power and control. And I just want to say something briefly about those two things, just to kind of avoid uh, making some assumptions or trying to downplay the, the idea that God has both of these. Power and control are two things that at first blush to us seem to be the same thing. Power and control are things that we use almost synonymously, but they are not necessarily the same thing. The fear of the loss of those things may end up in the same place, not knowing where things are, gonna, where things are going to end. And we use these two words to describe our ability to dictate what we, what we desire to see happen in our world. And when we use those two things, power and control, we, we use them to bring about the desired results in our life. And there's a lot of ways we can talk about this, but I kind of want to say it this way. Control is a little bit different than power in this. Control has to do with the ability to, to firsthand dictate our ability to get to our desired end in a situation, right? So control has more to do with our active maneuvering and manip manipulating things firsthand. Power is the ability, ability to exer exert influence in such a way that we dictate the end results, but not necessarily firsthand. So we work through an intermediary. So, so power would be saying, you need to go do this, and you exert so much influence that you make sure you get to that end result through someone else. Control is you actually doing it yourself. And sometimes people like to parse those things out with God, to say that God has power, but he doesn't have control. Or to say that God has control, he can manipulate things firsthand, but he doesn't have all the power to manipulate all things. And all I want to say this morning, all I want to point out is that the difference in those two things may be separate in the way that we use them or the way that we apply them as humans, but God has both unlimited power as well as full control. The Bible doesn't really distinguish between those things when it talks about God. It is clear that God can use either of those means to accomplish his end. He can use direct influence, control. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 25 says it this way. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. Who brings out their hosts by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. God is the creator. God is the one that brings these things about. He is the direct influencer. But he can also work through an intermediary. He can work through even an enemy as an intermediary. Genesis 50, 20, verse many of you know well. 
Joseph says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So what is he saying there? That God took what was meant for evil, he took an evil, and God even has power over that and used it for, uh, in this case, for Joseph's and his brother's good. And the true can be said of us in our lives. So God can exert direct influence. He can bring the stars out. He can hang them in the sky. And we can look at them. And he can also take actions that are going on in the world that are, are, <clears throat> that are not his, his direct influence but are happening. And he still has power over those things. We do not parse those things out with God. He is control of all. Both are parts of his omnipotence and he can use either of those at any time as he sees fit as i said this attribute of god is one that seems to be the most universally ascribed attribute but it is also the most widely debated in how powerful god is and it can make it confusing and frustrating to think through it can also be it's not can also it is also impossible for us in our limited understanding, to comprehend fully. For whatever reason, omniscience I find easier to understand, easier to see how this is who God is. Well, I realize I can't fully comprehend what that one means, to know everything. I feel like I can kind of compute that in my head. After all, if I learn something new, I don't automatically think, oh, someone else didn't know this before me. Or even if I ever got to that point, I would never think, oh, God didn't already know this before me. So that makes sense to me. But what we have to remember whenever we compare omniscience and omnipotence is it's not just that God knows when the sparrow falls. He is in charge of when the sparrow falls. God doesn't just know it. He ordains it. Now this is much harder for us to grasp. This is one that Christians and non-Christians alike will stumble on. After all, if God is all-powerful, why in the world is this world such a mess? Why are we dealing with things like a coronavirus? Why are we dealing with ICUs that are full? How can we look at this world that seems to be complete chaos and even pretend that there is someone in control of all of it? How can we watch people suffer? How can we watch our loved ones suffer? How can we watch ourselves suffer and then believe that God is still in control? And you know why that is so hard for us? Because it doesn't compute for us. Because on our end, the, the omniscience that we have, which is not omniscience, the limited understanding that we have, we calculate, we do math. And the equation that we do is God loves me, God is all-powerful, therefore life is good. So an all-powerful God plus a loving God equals a good life for me. That seems to be the equation most of us operate on. Because that's what makes sense to us. But this is where we can't stumble on God's omnipotence because we try to understand it in our limited understanding. So what we have to be able to do is be able to say that God's power is not like mine. 
God's knowledge is not like mine. And therefore, I can't judge the way God exerts his power and his influence based on my limited knowledge and my experience with what it means to have power. So we have to be able to back up just a little bit and change that equation. We can't say this is the math equation and how it should work. What we have to be able to say is, I don't fully understand how God gets to the place where he gets. I don't fully understand how or why he exerts his power in the way that he does. We have to be able to say, I don't know it all, so I can't judge God for the way that he acts or the things that he does. We've talked about this back whenever we began our study in the Curveball series, looking at at the fact that this world is fallen, and now we cannot fully uh, understand how God is working in the midst of evil, in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, and that He is even sovereign over those things. But praise God He is, because if He is not, then that would mean that He has met His equal when it comes to evil, and that He has met His equal whenever it comes to suffering. That he has met his match and that we are at the mercy then of suffering. We are at the mercy then of evil, but we are not at the mercy of those things. They are under his will at all times. And it's why Paul can say that God works all things together for good for those that are called according to his purpose. Because all things are under his control at all times. And so we can rely on that even if we can't understand that. We can put our faith in that even if we can't make that work in our calculations because it never will work in our calculations. What we know is this world has been broken by sin, but that even before the sin entered this world, God had a plan. He knew and he was powerful enough to work that plan from the very beginning. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says it this way. Blessed be the God of the fa- and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Do you see that? Before the foundation of the world, that we should be blameless before Him. In love, He did what? He worked. He was powerful. He was sovereign. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. According to what? The purpose of his will. So how how is this world redeemed? Through a foreordained plan in which God carried out to choose us. How? Through predestination, through knowing us ahead of time, through adoption, according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. God is not working on plan B right now. God is not working on plan C, plan D. He has not gone through the alphabet. This is still plan A. This is still what he set into motion before this world was ever founded. God has always been at work. And when he's at work, he's not just working within the given constraints of the world. He is ordaining and it is happening. He is saying, go forth and it goes. He is saying, exist and it exists. And he's saying, you're mine and you are his. He is 
forever working in that direction. He is always operating at full strength in full control. Some of God's attributes you have to scour the pages of Scripture for. But this one just spills out of the writers of Scripture. Over and over and over again, we see this attribute. The omnipotence of God, the power of God, just spill out of Scripture. So instead of me spending time trying to articulate what this is to you, this morning I just want to let Scripture do the work for me. So let's take a, a survey of just a few of the times the writers of Scripture let this just kind of overflow. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the, the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Psalm 135, verse 5. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps, He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes the lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from His storehouses. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 27. For the Lord of hosts has purposed it. Who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? Isaiah 46, verse 8. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. From ancient things. From ancient times things not yet done. God is declaring those because he is powerful enough to bring them about saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Luke chapter 1. Typically read this one somewhere early in the Christmas story when we get to December. And the angel answered her, talking to Mary, The Holy Spirit shall come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mark chapter 10 verse 26. And they were exceedingly astonished and said, to them, and said to him, Then who can be saved? This is the Pharisees talking to Jesus. And Jesus has just, has just shocked them with his teaching. And they said, Well, then who can be saved? And Jesus looks at them and says, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Matthew chapter 26 this is right before Jesus is about to be crucified when he's being taken into custody. Peter has cut off the ear of the guard that has come to arrest Jesus. And Jesus says to him, put your sword into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. 
Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus' point is that I am laying my life down. I am handing this over. Peter, you do not need to fight and turn this into chaos because I am fully in control right now. Maybe I am in shackles and chains. Maybe I have people that have shown up to arrest me with swords and clubs. But do not mistake what you see for being, uh, for not being in control, Peter. I promise you, Peter, I am fully in control in this moment. I have all things under me. I have full control and I have full power. All I have to do is say the word and this will change. But I'm not going to say the word because I'm here on a mission, one that was foreordained before the world ever existed. We could keep going. It's all over Scripture. God is referred to over and over as the Almighty. That is not just like a title. That is a, anytime you see that in Scripture, talking about the Almighty, that is kind of shorthand of saying the all-powerful God who's completely in control, who can do anything that He wants at any time. That is the Almighty. And it's all over your scripture. And instead of chasing some of these rabbits and, and getting into some of these debates, I kind of want to look at this uh, in the inverse, the ways in which we, like Adam and Eve, continue to chase after becoming our own little gods. The ways in which we try to, we, we try to take this incommunicable attribute of God, this part of God that he does not share with us or with any other, and yet we try to make it true of us. And the ways we compensate for our inability to be omnipotent. And we try to fake it for those around us. And perhaps most dangerously, we try to pretend that we are all-powerful even to ourselves. You know, it's one thing for, for our kids to try to be a superhero. To want to climb up on the roof wearing their blue and their red and their red cape and jump off of the roof and to find out that they do not, in fact, share all the superpowers of Superman. And they jump off the roof and they land on their face and you all are headed to the hospital, right? That is one way in which we can see this play out in kids. But man, we do it all the time where we will try our best to jump off the roof wearing our cape, trying our best to be like God or God himself. And we too end up on the way to the hospital. Just because you pretend that you are doesn't mean that you actually have the ability. And we try to become like God in some pretty predictable, yet woefully short ways. We have weak stand-ins for being all-powerful. This is one of those things where everyone can look at it and they can say, I know that that's not actually all-powerful, but it's the best we can do as humans, so that's going to be good enough and I will celebrate you for it. We kind of suspend our reality to know that's not all-powerful, but it's more powerful than what I can muster, so I'm going to celebrate you for it. Let me, let me tell you what I mean. And here's the thing I want you to notice, too, as I go through this. Most of these things are good things. They're good things. So don't misunderstand me whenever I start talking about some of this stuff. We substitute physical beauty, health, fitness, and wellness 
for power. We substitute physical beauty, health, fitness, and wellness for power and for being in control. Billions and billions are spent by Americans every year in this field alone. Everything from medical procedures to essential oils to gym memberships, they are all built on the promise that you can be in control. That if you can take these things, put them to use in your life, you can eliminate some part of you that exposes your weakness. So this is why we this is why so many of us go to the gym. This is why so many of us do not this is why so many of us run to medical procedures and run to the doctor as quickly as we can because we can sense that weakness within us and we think that doctor can cure that weakness and we want nothing more than to hide our weaknesses to ourselves and to others. Listen, as I stand up here right now, my heel is killing is killing me. Because I stood up yesterday shooting off fireworks on concrete for way too long, and my heel really hurts. And I would really like for that to be fixed. I was just talking to Tracy about this last week. My body is failing me, and if somebody can say, let me fix that, then I don't have to pretend that weakness exists anymore. And so I'll spend money on that. I'll put insoles in my shoes to take away that weakness. And depending on how you're wired, you might put like some sort of cream on there. You might get a massage. You might get acupuncture because somehow sticking a needle in there is supposed to fix that. I don't get how that works. But you might, so you might do that. You, 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 might, you might go to the doctor. You might have a surgery. You might get your oils and rub your oils on there because, I don't know. But you might do that. Like there's all kinds of different ways for you to do this just to pretend I'm not that weak. I'm really not, but you really are, but you really, really are. And yet the physical reality is that the most sought after thing in this planet might be physical power. That's certainly what we, or physical beauty, that's certainly where we put our money. That's certainly who we idolize. That's certainly the people we put on a pedestal and, and, and pack 107,000 people into a stadium to cheer on. Because we can see that power. We can know we don't have that power, but they do, and we will cheer for it, and we will celebrate it, and we will put it on a pedestal, and we will pay them hundreds of millions of dollars if they're really, really good at that. We substitute the physical power that some people have for being true power. And the flip side is true too. How quickly our society will dismiss the physically weak, the handicapped, the unborn child, and the chronically sick. We obsess over and pursue physical giftedness, and we try to eliminate or hide all physical weakness, even physical weakness that doesn't belong to us, but to the most vulnerable in our culture. It's why news stories, I don't know if y'all saw this a couple of years ago, but it's why news stories have headlines celebrating the fact that they have almost eradicated Down syndrome from Iceland. Not because they have some medically amazing thing where they have fixed this problem, 
It's because they have so celebrated abortion in this case that they have simply killed these babies before they were born. And it's hailed as a great thing. Why? Because it eliminates the physically weak and it doesn't have to remind us that that things are not right or things are broken in this world. And it is pure evil. But we want to pretend that that weakness doesn't exist in our world and we want to pretend that that weakness doesn't exist in us. So maybe you run a lot, maybe you go to the gym, maybe you pursue medical care at an unnecessary frequency because you're convinced that you can somehow grow, take control over that physical part of your body. And remember, I'm saying this, these are, these are generally good things that I'm talking about here. It's good for you to go for a run. It's good for you to take care of your body. God has given that to you and you should steward it well. It's a good thing. We're heading to Vanderbilt this week for, for, for some medical tests and for a checkup for Emily. I, I praise God for what doctors can do and how that can help heal you. It is a good thing until it's not. Until it becomes a God thing. So why do you go to the doctor? Why do you need a massage? Why do you need the acupuncture? Why do you need the oils? Why do you need the gym membership? Why do you need all of these things? Do you need all of these things because it helps, to, it helps you to steward things well and to glorify God with your body? Or do you need these things because these things hide your weakness and let you pretend that you are more powerful than you actually are? If you need to go to the doctor, go to the doctor. But don't substitute your faith in doctors for your faith that is so much bigger than that false sense of power that your body can provide. We seek to find our power in education or in knowledge. This could go right back to what we talked about last week with God's omniscience and the being all-knowing. I told you last week, I love to learn, I do. But there's a reason that the Bible says that knowledge puffs up because it can quickly become the place where we think we are God. If we just know enough, if we can just gain a little bit more information, then perhaps that will, that will help us become closer to, to knowing. That little bit of knowing will help us become closer to becoming all-powerful. If we just know a little bit more, we can control a little bit more. This is why you, you read the internet or you read a book on gardening, right? So that you can figure out how your, why your tomatoes are dying. So that you can figure out how to get these bugs off of your plants. So you read this stuff because it helps you to, 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 to subdue the earth as we've been commanded. And that is fine. But in the end, our education is highly limited in its ability to grant us power and control. College graduates can find this one out pretty quick. Graduate and go try to find a job, and then you'll realize that this uh, education that you received that's supposed to unlock all doors and make you king of all things just goes right in the pile with a bunch of other people that are king of all things that have also gotten a college degree. Again, good, go to school, be educated, do those things. That will help you, that will enable you to to be a better person if you apply it correctly. 
But if you apply it in such a way that you hope that your new knowledge will translate to new power, you will find very quickly that it has its limits and that it is lacking. Friends, you can get all the degrees you want. You are never going to feel like you are fully in control. We seek to find control and power in position. This is one that I think is probably the easiest to see from outsiders, but the hardest to see within ourselves. And what I'm talking about here is, is, is the, the parent that thinks just because he's dad that he can demean and demand all day long of his children. That he, he feels the need to constantly assert his power over them. To put them in their place. To remind them that he is the authority. He is the little God of their house. We're talking about the boss that believes he has people that work under him that are, and that he is somehow better than that person because of his position. And then goes out to show everyone at every point that this is true. It's the wife that believes so long as she has a husband, then all is right in her world. So she does all she can to get married, only to check out on a relationship whenever it gets hard. Because for her to have a husband, to be in a relationship, that gives her some sense of control, some sense of place. And we could turn all those around. Men do the same thing. Moms do the same thing. We seek position because we assume if we have position, then we can take control. And so we find all of our power in that position. We all seek out titles on some level that give us a place of authority. Sometimes that's at work, sometimes that's personally. But if we can check that box that says, I'm in charge of something, it can puff us up and make us feel like, yes, this is exactly what it feels like to be God. Now, we wouldn't articulate it that way. We wouldn't say it that way. We know how arrogant that sounds. But in in, in the final scheme of things, that's what we're trying to do. People seek to find control in manipulation and abuse. Now, this one doesn't fall under the good category, but it's one that we need to be able to talk about here in the church. Here in the church, we need to be abundantly clear about how sin can work in people's lives. We should know this truth before anyone else and above anyone else, that sin will cause some people to do anything to maintain control. They will lie, they will threaten, they will manipulate, they will intimidate, they will physically harm, they will do anything they can in order to maintain power in a relationship. The heart of abuse is so often not about frayed relationships or sexuality, it's often about one thing, power. As humans, in order to maintain our power and control, uh, to maintain our power and control, we will we will be faced with times when, it, when, when, when that power and control slips out of our hands. And when it does, which is going to be almost every day, when it does, our response will be one of two things. One, it will be to uh, recognize that we are not God, we are not omnipotent, we do not have all power, 
or it will begin to it, it will be our our then response to begin to manipulate and to threaten and to take control back in order to gain control over others and tighten that grip even further. So often that is the heart and the beginning of abuse. We seek to find control and power by pretending that we have none at all. Maybe this is the most counterintuitive, but it is true. The victimhood mentality destroys lives, homes, towns, and countries. To claim full victim status is to admit that you've lost control and that you had no power. But in order to be a victim, what you have to be able to say is, the reason I have no power is not my fault. So you still maintain some level of, this isn't on me because my power was taken from me. And so we live in this victim status. If one can convince themselves that there was really absolutely nothing they could do about it and that they are the victim, then they now have the power to blame someone else or to blame something else for their problems. It's an attempt to be in control of the narrative of your life, even when you're not in control of the events. There's a thousand other things I could list here. We could just keep going. Let me ask you, where does that play itself out in your life? When you lose control, what is your response? What is the thing that you fear losing control of the most? Is it your marriage? Is it your kids? Is it your health? Is it your job? Is it your money? Because wherever that is, that's where you will be the most tempted to try and manipulate things to gain that control and that power back. That's the way idolatry works. The good thing is that in spite of all of this, in spite of all of our failed attempts of of, uh, a coup to take over God's throne, He is not phased by any of it. He is not phased by any of it. So what do you do whenever you feel that control slip and you realize you have no control at all? When you realize this world is indeed spinning well outside of your control? This morning, there are two things that I think we can take away from this idea that God is all-powerful. There's more than that, but there's two that I want to draw out here. One is comfort. And again, I'll just let the Scripture speak for us. Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? If God is all-powerful, who should I be afraid of? There is no one that can come against me so long as I am under his care. Now, whenever we say that, the application for that can be, all right, well, then I'm good. I can go out and let's get back to our old equation. All-powerful God equals great life for me. But when God talks about his power, what he's talking about is also his glory, not necessarily your comfort in it. So ultimately, who can come against me? Nothing and no one. But temporally here in this place, God can use anyone at any time for any purpose. 
The second thing that this should do is not just comfort us, it should cause us to worship. Listen to Paul in two different places. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul sees the power of God and he says he can do whatever he wants and I will give him glory for that. Romans 8, chapter 37. Know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus the Lord. Paul overflows in praise and thanksgiving for the power that God puts on display because in his sovereignty, God has chosen to exert that power to choose us, to save us, to redeem us, and eventually to fully restore us. And nothing, as Paul lays it out here, can separate us from that because there is nothing that is more powerful than God and how he has chosen to set his love in Christ Jesus on us. That is what we celebrate here when we gather. That is what we celebrate when we praise God. Not that we are something great that would draw God, but because he is great and he would draw us. And so that is what we celebrate. And that is what it means to love and to worship and to serve an omnipotent God who is all-powerful. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning, we do not even comprehend what it, what it means to have all power. Our power is so minuscule. It is so limited. In our, in our sinful, ignorant state, it is so easy to believe that we have some measure of power because we are wealthy or because we are smart or because we are educated or because we are healthy. We can believe that we are in control, but Father, just as as we've been taught over the course of the last few months, all it takes is a simple phone call, a simple press conference, a simple virus to remind us that we have no control over what is happening now. Father, we trust you in all of this. We will do as we have been called. We will care for others. We will love one another. But we will trust that you are in control of all of it. Father, help us to lift our eyes and to feel the majesty that is contained in this truth that we, we simply cannot understand. And Father, I thank you that you are all-powerful and that you have chosen. That you have chosen to assert that power for my good, for my salvation not because I have done anything, but because you have done all things. You've set your love upon me. And I pray that would be true of every person in this room. In Christ's name we pray.